0: Welcome to the e-commerce toolbox, Expert Perspectives, a podcast by Noibu, where we explore the elite strategies and cutting-edge insights with our expert guests. Get ready to propel your e-commerce business to the next level. Welcome, everyone, to the e-commerce toolbox, Experts perspective. Joining us today, someone that I've known for a long time. He's quite famous in the Canadian e-com scene. So welcome, James. Really, really appreciate your time today.
1: Thanks for having me, Galen. I don't know if I'm actually famous, maybe like small-town famous. We'll see. We'll see.
0: (laughs) You're at least Canada famous. Uh, Everyone knows you here. And uh, really, one of your kind of largest claims to fame is uh, everyone knows Roots, the iconic brand. Uh, Everyone has a pair of those sweatpants at home. And uh, James, actually, maybe this is a great segue. I'm not going to steal your thunder into the first question is you began your journey in the stockroom. And uh, when you kind of completed your time at Roots, you're in a C-level title overseeing a lot of things. So maybe walk us through that journey and and how you got there.
1: Well, I mean, first of all, the journey I never could have predicted. I mean, literally it was I was walking on Street here in Toronto, saw a billboard with Ben Affleck and Matt Damon in it and thought I needed a winter coat. So where can I go? And saw Roots, um, joined for what I thought was going to be a six-week contract and ended up staying. Fell in love with the product, fell in love with the people. And it came down to the fact that when I joined, um, they were rolling out a new POS system. And I, as part of being in the stock team, um, saw a lot of processes when it came down to managing uh product going out on loan to TV, movies, and film that was super, super manual. And so being someone who was a freelance web designer on weekends said, you know what, I can work with you, start to figure out how to make this more digital. And as a result of that, became the first person that they hired for the e-commerce division when we started in 1999. Um, And then it was just sort of uh, an evolving Cast of episodes and changes that happened all throughout from uh, hosting almost basically in someone's garage to taking pictures on my coffee table with the one megapixel camera that ended up selling $12 million over a two week period during the US Olympic uh, back in 2002. So tons of change to where they're at today. E commerce is uh, the biggest store by far, and really a, a main driver from the digital marketing communications and customer experience of the company, even to this day. Awesome,
0: love the intro. And I, I think that's one thing that throughout these conversations, I'm hearing consistently is a lot of digital leaders are trying to get the e-comm as the largest store in a profitable and sustainable way. And it's it's really freaking hard. So, I mean, obviously through your career, you've witnessed digital landscape evolve like crazy, right? Like you mentioned, when you joined the company, there was no website, right? Or there was a very limited web presence going to then making it to the largest store. What was that one moment or series of moments where you kind of realized that this e-com thing was,
1: was, was here to stay? I think, you know, early on, everyone back in the late 90s overinvested. And so as a result of that, the expectations were not realistic. We were going to close all of our stores. Infrastructure was super expensive. And as a result of that, everything just sort of crashed in the early 2000s. So along with what we were doing, everything had to be rebuilt. And I think rebuilt in a more effective, smart way. And at that point it was still, how do we do this on a small scale to prepare for when consumers are actually going to adopt this technology? And it actually literally, it goes back to, you know, the 2002 Olympics Um, roots was outfitting the Canadian Olympic team, the U S Olympic team, the British Olympic team um, at a games that was in Salt Lake city. And we thought it was going to be a small project. Uh, We thought, you know, a couple hundred thousand dollars we'd sell out of Canada and ship to the U S no big deal. Well, The product appeared when the US launched um, into the, the stadium in Salt Lake City, the website crashed, Um, The phone systems crashed, just everything. And I mean, at that point, there was no such thing as cloud computing. It was literally building servers upon servers upon servers to the point where people were on hold for eight hours on the telephone systems. We introduced faxes where we put the fax number on the website and received over 7,000 faxes over a span of two hours. And it was just something that I never would have anticipated and really became a thing of. You know, digital is impactful. It's not just a toy. It's something that really can be meaningful and create meaningful not only connections but businesses for any organization. And so, until that moment for me, it was sort of like, well, this is a toy. I love technology and I love building things. Let's figure out how to how to make this work. To Oh my god! I'm now in charge of something that is now that got the central focus of the entire organization. At that point, how do we not lose all these sales that we've taken over the last two weeks and start to build a brand both domestically and internationally to in a bigger and better way? I
0: love that. I, I think I think that's very interesting. I didn't know that story, um, and I think you're you're bang on, right? Like that's one of those moments where you got so much demand that you kind of start to realize, like, well. Are we gonna go and open up permanent stores in all of the US for the rest of the time? Probably not, right? So transferring that into, into a digital channel and, and opening up those markets so that when those events do come in, whether it's the Canadian Olympics or the US Olympics or any international Winter Olympics, I, I, I think that makes makes a ton of sense. How do you think the concept of omnichannel has evolved in the last decade or two?
1: Well, I think originally it was all about aligning pricing maybe aligning promotions and um, starting to understand how we attract a customer to one of the two channels, but not conflict. Now, I think when you're starting to look at it, it's how do we actually empower the customer to shop in the way they want to in a channel, acknowledging the fact that they have one wallet, there isn't an online wallet and a real-world wallet, there's one customer. And so using the information that you derive off of each individual channel to influence the other through a centralized consumer data platform or CRM is incredibly powerful and something that I think we're seeing more and more, as well as the fact that we're seeing inventory being shared across channels. Um, And it could be as as simple as sharing inventory at a central distribution center or doing things like ship from store, click and collect from orders placed from all your your stores nationally. And so I think starting to understand how you take all that information and then push it out to individual parts of your business. So whether it's your buying team to understand what's being shipped from the store, your digital performance marketing. So understanding if someone purchased in a store, how do we take them out of the target list? for emails or or influence their recommendations. We sort of historically have always looked at data as something that resides in a channel or a place, as opposed to something that's more organic, that's representative of, of a customer and their actual journey. And so looking at modern web-based technologies that have flexibility to sort of I guess, arrive to either just-in-time or in-time marketing actions and decisions that we can use across the organization, it sort of frees us from the older, sort of more rigid enterprise systems where you had to wait for something to pull and you had to wait for a report. And then it might influence a decision that you were making six months ago, as opposed to now I can just go onto a portal and get information that most likely is up to date within worst case a day. How did you gain
0: sponsorship and alignment internally around some of these things? Because that seems like, I, I think what you're saying is is super logical, makes sense. Centralized CRM, whether they come in through the store, they come in through online, there's some sort of unique identifier through email, whatever that is. At that point, we then get to deploy marketing. Obviously, we already know the best marketing campaigns have the highest quality, highest amount of data. How did you gain sponsorship internally, whether it was to cross-pollinate the in-store data to the online data? Like, how did how did you get that done, either from a resourcing standpoint or just from like a don't-touch-my-part-of-the-business kind of political process?
1: I think there's a number of different answers to that. I mean, the first one that I found was often most effective was partnering with outside companies like yours and starting to understand that if we wanted something to it, something accomplished, we typically didn't have the resources initially to actually accomplish what we wanted the outcome to be. And so being willing to pilot new technology or new solutions and having a proof of concept that we could show the business was one certainly successful area. The other one I would say is starting to enroll people across the organization into creating a center of excellence around digital. And typically in organizations, especially sales organizations, you would have executives sort of leading that as opposed to having people from across the organization so whether it's your sales associate your stock person your buyer your designer having as many sort of cross-populated conversations with stakeholders with different objectives um, and necessary different outcomes helped me socialize the idea about digital change as well as drive it from a cultural standpoint because typically the issue isn't necessarily around the technology or the reporting, it's about the culture of change and being willing to actually accept the change and seeing it as a non-threatening. So, you know, I can bring technology into a store and try to educate someone about it as a you know a dictation from a home office person. It's very different than actually going into a store, working with those people, empowering the team captain that was part of the digital experience implementation at that store and educating them about how to use it, how not to use it, and what the desired outcomes are. As a result, we actually saw a huge amount of adoption where we actually had probably about 200 people to a digital summit. The objective was to create a number of MVPs that were generated by people across the organization that we would then bring into the digital team and push out. I would say that after we did initiatives like that, it was never a question of why are you doing this, but more of a question of how quickly can you do this for me. That's interesting. I,
0: I think two things that I'm extracting from that as kind of like that the headlines is number one is it really does need to be a cross-functional initiative at the sea level. It's something that needs to be openly discussed. To your point, it can't be kind of crammed bottoms up. It really needs to be aligned and then pushed downwards. And then the second thing is understanding your flywheel effect. Like what is Roots or whatever company you're working at the best in in the world and, and kind of sticking to that. And we actually see on our end, a lot of companies try to become technology companies at the retail level because they think it's going to increase their valuation or something. And to your point is, you can't be both, right? If you're going to be vertically integrated, build all of your stuff in a sustainable and authentic way, you probably aren't going to build the best platform in the world at the same time.
1: Absolutely. And I think understanding the fact that there's There are benefits to being a first mover and it means that you can iterate quickly, you can iterate fast, um, and the stakes are lower if you get it wrong. So as a result of of, of that, when you win, you win so much more um, as opposed to waiting to be the last uh, company to um, implement something. And as a result, the stakes are higher and at the same time, the cost may be lower. You never know. But you're so much further behind in learnings and education internally that it's, in my opinion, it's not worth it.
0: Yeah. Aligned. And then it's maintenance, cost, distraction. The one big thing as we've scaled that I've underestimated is there's value in so many projects. Most projects have value. I just underestimated the attention span issues, right? Where you can't do 30 projects. Like that's actually the problem. It's not that there's not 30 projects that have value. How are you looking at balancing? And especially now you've kind of co-founded in the clean tech space. How do you make e as profitable as possible, while also making sure that it's, it's sustainable from kind of a carbon footprint standpoint.
1: Well, I think there's something that you can do around consumption. So for example, for the longest time, our vendors told the people at Roots that every individual item had to be uh, polybagged for e-commerce. There was no exception to that. No one was doing it. And we just essentially were steadfast. The fact that getting a product in a plastic bag, individually wrapped, was not on brand and not good for the environment. And so working with our partners to figure out, well, okay, if everyone said for all these years that that's the way it has to be, why? How do we change it? And what is the ability for us to reconsider about all these other things that we look at that necessarily are required that may not necessarily be good for the environment? And it could cost you a little bit more, but a lot of times it actually costs less. So for example, we saved on repackaging for e-commerce, we saved on poly bags, all of that stuff didn't go into the waste stream. And our customers actually were able to touch and feel the products as soon as they got them out of the bag, instead of having to rip open a package to rip open a bag, to rip open something else like it, it's not great. And so I think as more large companies start to adopt more environmentally friendly practices, it becomes less niche and as a result of that, hopefully the cost will come down. And as a result of you know that, then it becomes more accessible for every player in the market as opposed to just something that is central to a company's brand. And as a result of that, that's why they're doing it. There may be some additional cost. But for whatever reason, that resonates with their customer as opposed to being in a situation where all consumers just expected because of dial tone.
0: Yeah. And to your point, it was very much on brand for roots to not have an experience like that, where it is kind of associated to high quality low carbon footprint, sustainable clothing. I've had the same pants for probably too long now at this point. Probably due for an upgrade. But yeah, to, to your point, I think it's very very much on brand. Can you maybe talk to us a bit about how technology, like your calculator API, could lead certain people towards a more sustainable future uh, in e-com?
1: We are starting to try to figure out how to use create an API that makes carbon calculation or carbon estimation of the impact of an individual product, as well as the shipping of that product much easier as an entry point. So we're trying to make something like this accessible for every single business, work of size, as opposed to something that, for the most part, has been really centralized around some larger players that can invest in this. So we're working on that, as well as another initiative, which is starting to connect customers in the Southeast Asia region to projects that actually impact them personally. So if you're in Thailand, um, we're going to try to connect you with projects that are about removing plastic out of the ocean outside Krabi Island. Um, If you're in Indonesia, outside of Jakarta, there's an initiative that protects the biodiversity and reserve around an orangutan habitat that's threatened. And so we're trying to promote that. So it's really sort of trying to understand how do we break down this big global problem of the environment and climate change and sustainability and make it something that resonates with you personally because it's close to home and you can actually go and see the impact of that initiative. Because at the end of the day, so many people sort of look at this and say, it's not my problem because I can't do anything to change it. As opposed to, if I pick up a piece of trash on the side of the road, that means that it may not go into the waste stream or into the water. And as a result, an animal may not eat it and they're going to have a much better quality of life. That's really cool. I always love,
0: and I I tell the team internally, it doesn't always have to be what's good for this is bad for that. Like, I genuinely do think there's win-win-wins where you can increase profitability, increase sales, and decrease waste. I genuinely do believe that. So I love that. And I think you just have to be a bit more creative. But I think, especially when it feeds back to the brand, it's, it's super, super relevant. I probably wouldn't have a podcasting job if I didn't ask you about AI. So I would love to get your take on how you think intersecting the technology of AI with
1: e-commerce and and what you think kind of some of the top opportunities are
0: for retailers?
1: I think, you know, looking at broad verification, personalization, propensity to buy, change categories, that sort of thing, I think hopefully you're already doing it because at the end of the day, that technology has been around for close to 10 years now. What I would say, and because of my interest in environmentalism, is the fact that I would love to see technology help, NAI AI specifically, help understand what the best product is for you to buy. So instead of having you buy six different sizes and six different colors, only buy one or two. So that means recommending the the color that's right for you. Potentially having recommendations um, on your size based on a visual image of yourself, which you know a Canadian company called Passon does that. Being able to do a visualization of what the actual garment looks like on your body. Other websites or companies do that as well. And then understanding the fact that by using AI, we can determine the best location for that product to come to you in the least amount of shipments in the best size package so it reduces the shipment size. So all of these sort of little initiatives sort of ladder up to the fact that I'm going to buy what I think I'm probably going to keep I'm going to get it to you in the least amount of environmental impact. And as a result of that, I'm one, not tying up inventory. And two, I'm not um, causing unnecessary waste by returns or uh, shipping.
0: You perfectly articulated it. That's the exact type of opportunity that I think people should be looking for. Number one is it's going to increase your conversion rate. It's going to decrease your return rate. It's going to decrease freight costs, which is going to increase all the margins. And the customer is going to not have to go to the post office, which is a pain in the butt. So I think that you hit all the, the nails on the head there. And I'd never thought of, AI. I, I think you're bang on, like AI marketing, all that stuff is like not super new, like personalization, all of that. I, th- I think what you're flagging is how can you effectively make sure that we're increasing conversion and reducing returns and then optimizing last mile delivery and, and just where it's being shipped out of. Makes, makes a ton of sense. Bonus question. I know we're up on time, but I'd love to hear your take on this. You guys were pretty early to the party on shipping or buy online, pick up in store. Like, for example, Shopify, they didn't even have that in their platform until uh, middle of COVID. They had to rearrange their whole roadmap to add that to that. So that's a custom functionality that most platforms didn't even have. I guess my question is, why did you think that was so important early on? Because you're kind of like five, 10 years early to the party there.
1: Yeah, we launched buy in store, uh, ship from online in 2009. And then buy online, ship from store in, and I'm sure someone will correct me on this if I've got it wrong, but I'm fairly sure it was 2012, 2013. And really what it came down to the fact is that as a division that owned inventory, it was hard to try to understand where the patterns were going from a growth perspective. And so it would always come into uh, fourth quarter. We would be in a situation where come Boxing Day, we would have inventory sitting at stores but not available to sell online. And if you went online, there would be nothing left to buy because we sold it all through. And so we realized that by listing inventory that was available in stores, we could potentially create better product churn, have less markdowns, and start to provide a better customer experience across both channels. And that's what we did. First year that we did did it, I would say it wasn't wasn't easy whatsoever. Um, I remember sitting in a store with a group of people and we had 5,000 orders to fulfill at the Toronto Eaton Centre store and one cash register to do it with. And meanwhile, we're trying to help people in the store. So it wasn't smooth and the demand was much higher than we ever anticipated. But at the same time, we got it right quick and it ended up being a significant contributor to the bottom line for the organization and less leftover stock. So you don't have to
0: get rid of all that stuff. And there's environmental and bottom line impacts there as well. So James, look, I really, really love this conversation. Appreciate uh, you taking the time to do this. Is there anything else you want to say kind of as we sign off for today?
1: No, other than, you know, I want to congratulate you on all your success. I mean, I've been able to watch your career from very early on in 2016 all the way to today. And just seeing the pivots and the dedication to making all of this work and have it happen in Canada has been great to watch means a lot. Thank you, James. You're one of the e-com goats in
0: Canada. So we really, really appreciate that, the shout out. And yeah, best of luck with uh, with everything you're working on and, and such a valuable episode. I think a lot of retailers are envious of what you built over there and, and the foresight you had and all the projects that you invested in. So really appreciate your time and we'll chat again soon. Thanks, James. Thank you. The e-commerce toolbox expert perspectives is brought to you by Noyvee. To find out more about Noibu and how we can help you debug your e-commerce site and rocket your revenue, visit www.noibu.com. That's N-O-I-B-U dot And then make sure to search for the e-commerce toolbox, Expert Perspectives on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or anywhere else podcasts are found and click subscribe so you don't miss out on any future episodes. On behalf of the team here at Noibu, thanks for listening.